Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey everyone, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and I have a, a guest who I'm going to introduce you to momentarily, whose also name is Justin, so it's going to be a very Justin-heavy episode. Uh, but uh, I wanted to pass to you some news or updates that I have uh, since last time you heard my crisp, clean voice over the podcast. Um, so we recently started doing giveaways. So where we rate, or sorry, we recently started doing giveaways for uh, reviews on uh, on the podcast platforms. So what we've been doing is is we've been selecting one written review a week when we record and uh, we'll read that review aloud, give the person a shout out and we'll ask them to shoot us an email and then we will send them a free hat, which they can pick off our Harvesting Nature store. So for this week, I'm going to read the review called Perfect Timing. And it says, this podcast is just what the hunting public needs to know. And not just a hunting public, but the general public who are on the fence about getting into harvesting their own protein. So that was written by WSMC923 via Apple Podcasts. So uh, if you're out there and listening to this week's episode, shoot us an email at whatscooking at harvestinature.com and uh, let us know which hat you want and we'll get it over to you. Outside of that, we just released our alligator hunting shirt this week, uh, which corresponded with our release of our alligator hunting podcast, which was a really great podcast where Will and I were traveled up to North Florida and we did a, a mobile podcast while we were there. And outside of that, we had a blast. I did some recent travels too, which you'll hear about in, in other mobile podcasts over the next few weeks. And then on top of that, we have, uh, I've personally been working on some great recipes, so in accord with our our recipe we did uh, a while back about the heart, the liver, the call fat, and tongues. 
I think it is. Uh, I, I was able to save some of those from my travels and uh, working on venison heart hash recipes and uh, some dirty rice recipes. So trying to use the whole the whole animal uh, for those. But I think that about does it for me. So I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce you to Justin. So uh, he is a social media manager and digital media specialist at the National Shooting Sports Foundation, Justin Morrissey. Welcome to Harvest of Nature, man. Good to be on. <laughs> so uh, I guess, so we know who we're talking with outside of that brief introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about, about yourself, where you're from, what you do, what you enjoy doing in the outdoors? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I grew up in uh, West Central Wisconsin, kind of right by the border of Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, I am an avid outdoorsman. Um, I've hunted for the last sixteen plus years. Um, pretty, um, I'm pretty active, pretty avid hunter. <laughs> um, but uh, I also grew up fishing. I love that. Um, so I'm pretty well-rounded when it comes to doing anything really in the outdoors um, as a sportsman. Um, and then I'm lucky enough to have my passion turn into a career for me. Um, I got started in uh, college doing some, actually it was right out of high school, doing uh, doing some filming for uh, local, regional, and national television shows. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to travel around and film uh, elk hunts, mule deer hunts, and uh, go up above the Arctic Circle and film some uh, a muskox hunt and a bunch of other cool things like that. Um, so I had some really great experiences doing that stuff and then um, went to school and uh, happened to go to the SHOT Show a couple times with the Professional Outdoor Media Association. Um, I was an intern at the time with, um, with that organization. And I met my supervisor at uh, the National Shooting Sports Foundation and kind of had an interview that was not even an interview. Um, and that led to the position that I, uh, I took on about six years ago at NSSF. So I moved across the country to Connecticut and just uh, the rest is history, I guess. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's been a heck of a ride. I've been able to hunt all over the country. Um, and uh, now I'm back in Wisconsin where I grew up and I work remotely and um, I just enjoy being uh, outdoors still with family and friends and uh, bringing new people out. And yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it, I would say. But but I do a lot of different types of hunting. I mean, primarily, I would say my favorite is bow hunting for whitetails. But I also have a a bird dog and I love to do upland bird hunting and also waterfowl hunting a lot. Um, and my main, I would say my main motivation for it is probably, uh, I don't know. I, I would definitely say food. Um, and that's changed over the years. I would say like the adventure and the thrill of it is kind of what drove, drove it for me when I first started off. And then, um, slowly over the years, you know, the benefits of the food, and uh, the value of just hunting your own game and seeing the full circle behind that, um, it has just been really rewarding. So um, so I would say that's that's what has kind of driven driven me to become a more and more avid hunter over the years. So I, I have to ask we were uh, you mentioned getting into to filming hunts 
and things like that. Yep. Um, recently started doing some filming myself and, and trying to get accustomed to life behind the eye versus life as a hunter and just kind of, uh, look, trying to balance that role in the field. But, uh, what was it like your experiences sort of behind the camera and, and what were some of your favorite moments you got to see? Yeah, sure. So being behind the camera is there are pros and cons to it, right? I mean, um, I would say the first roughly 10, uh, yeah, probably 10 years that I hunted, um, most of the time I actually had a camera with me and I was hunting, not even hunting. I was holding a camera and I was shooting animals with the camera <laughs> versus a, uh, a weapon. So, so I, um, kind of balance that off with my brother and a couple other buddies of mine that are really avid into, into hunting. And, um, the really cool thing about filming though, is it teaches you that one, it's not about the, the kill itself. Um, you know, it's fun to go out and it's fun to just soak up the experience with a buddy. And it's a lot more meaningful when you can go out and you can actually share the story in real time with somebody else. Um, because that's another thing that drives me to be a hunter is like the stories behind it. Um, and so that storytelling aspect is just a lot of fun, but one of the most unique things about filming that can help anybody become a better hunter is reflecting on the hunts that you filmed and being able to see whether you're hunting or someone else is hunting, um, you know, what you can do better. And also when you, <laughs> when you film something that, you know, didn't quite work out right, you, you watch it over and over and over again. And it kind of just instills these solid <laughs> reminders not to do certain things or to do certain things um, in the future. So those are some of the coolest things uh, or b best things, I guess, that uh, hunting has taught me, uh, filming hunting has taught me, but um, I've been able to go all over, but I would say the coolest film, uh, hunt, uh, filmed hunt that I've been on is probably the hunt above the Arctic circle. Um, I filmed with, uh, Babe Winkleman productions up there and it was a 10 day hunt. We filmed muskox, but we saw moose, grizzly bear, caribou, wolves, um, just a ton of birds, um, migrating like ducks and loons and all kinds of stuff. Um, and it was just a really, really unique experience in one of the most pristine areas of North America. So it was pretty cool. How, uh, how, how cold was it? It actually wasn't bad. So we, in the Northwest territories, um, the season actually starts in August and in August there is no snow or very little snow. Um, there, I mean, there are definitely parts of, the Northwest territories where there's kind of snow lingering throughout the whole year. Mm -hmm. Um, but at that time there wasn't a lot of snow. Um, and it was, I mean, it got to be t-shirt weather at times outside. Um, oh, wow. so it's not like the typical, you know, a lot of the muskox hunting you see a lot of the videos are in like sub-zero temperatures, um, mm -hmm. the snow blowing out in like a, snowy desert looking landscape this was not this was like tundra there were blueberries everywhere um and open water and uh yeah so it was it was a really cool experience and you know that that was one of the things that taught me that um i mean i did get to go on that hunt and i got paid to, to film which is a perk but 
Um, I've done other hunts where I've paid money to go do it because it's just tough to beat experiences like that. And they're pretty priceless when it comes down, down to it. That's it. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, I like your point that you made where you, you said, uh, you kind of watch the film. If, if it's a failure or a mistake, you watch the film over and over and over. And just like, I, I replay those moments in my head, but it makes me think about like, high school football, you know, or the coaches, all right, we're going to watch the reel this week and see what everybody did or didn't do. And, uh, you know, that kind of critique session, like we're going to try to take away something from this. (laughs) But, uh, I, I, I I agree with you a hundred percent on that. And it's, uh, it, it reminds me of when I was in high school and my, my golf coach, um, I kind of played golf in the spring just for, for fun. You know, it was totally a recreational thing, not any sort of co- competitive thing for me. Um, and my, my golf coach said, you know, you can hunt the rest of your life. You can't, you can't play high school sports. So you should, you know, really focus on high school sports right now while you can. And I just remember telling him like, Hey man, I know my passion. And, you know, if I miss a golf meet on a Saturday, because I want to go turkey hunting. Like that's just what I like. And so, so anyways, that was pretty fun. And then it ended up turning into a career for me. So there you go. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> You're like, take that. <laughs> exactly. kind of, yeah. So, um, so how, how long have you worked with the, the NSSF? Ooh. Uh, now, so you mentioned you kind of met some of those, those folks at, at shot shows and things like that, and just yep. kind of worked your way into it. So how long have you been working there? Yep. So that was, uh, over six years ago that I, I mean, at this point it was almost seven years ago when I met my supervisor at the shot show. Um, but I got hired about a little over six years ago, um, moved to Connecticut for three and a half years, hunted in the Northeast a lot, um, really got a solid, uh, uh, foundation, <laughs> at NSSF um, with learning all about the industry, about um, operations, how we um, can do things most efficiently um, on behalf of the industry, um, what the industry voice should be or what it is, um, and how we can kind of steer that in the right direction, both, uh, you know, for for everything that we do, I guess, um, which does delve into politics um, quite often. So, um, so learning like the politics of everything with, uh, with firearms and with hunting and all that, that's, uh, not my favorite side of things, but, um, it's, it's definitely something that's really important to know, um, when it comes to making decisions, um, for like voting, for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, prime, prime, large, prime so. topic right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No kidding. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I was out there for three and a half years and, uh, we've done a lot of really good things since then. And, uh, um, yeah. And actually when I was an intern with the professional outdoor media association, um, a couple of years after I joined the NSSF team, um, I actually became a board member on the professional outdoor media association. So, um, so that kind of, everything just changed really fast. And, uh, so now I'm like deeply rooted in the outdoor media realm, um, as well as the marketing side of things, um, for, for the outdoor industry. So it's pretty, pretty fun, and entertaining job. Nice. That's good. And, uh, a good, a good bit of travel, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, not during COVID times, well. but, uh, 
<laughs> but but yeah, I I travel uh, a decent amount enough to you know keep things exciting. Um, I would say it averages out to be about once a month I go on a trip. Um, a lot of the times though, it's to like a conference. So from the times that I filmed hunts, you know, and I would fly to you know middle of nowhere in Utah or something like that. Um, it and now it's me flying to Florida, you know, Jacksonville or or to. Houston, uh, Texas or Las Vegas, you know, to go to a conference or something like that. But, but it's fun because I get to see a lot of people I know in the industry and, uh, a lot of, a lot of good stories to tell always. And, uh, it's just fun working with a lot of people that share your same passion. Do you, uh, you dive much into the world of, uh, cooking wild game and fish? Y- yes. Um, yeah, I, I've gotten into cooking a lot more over the years. Um, right away, I mean, I would go hunt like like geese, you know, Canada geese, and I would, mm-hmm. um, you know, shoot them and have fun shooting them. And then I'd be like, crap, now we got to eat them. <laughs> but <laughs> now I, it, it's like completely turned around now. It's, uh, it's actually really interesting. Um, I always, so I'm not a big uh, wine drinker, okay? I don't mm-hmm. drink alcohol much in general but um but i do know enough people who like wine and i know that wine uh you know it's an acquired taste there are a lot of little tiny um little flavors in wine um you know that tell you about how the wine was made um what it was made of and so on and so forth and i compare that to wild game especially ducks so all the duck species, they have different diets and mm-hmm. depending on where yep. they, where they uh, you know, migrate to or, you know, the area that they, they live in, um, even each uh, individual duck of the same species can sometimes have a little different flavor. And so it's really interesting. The more you eat wild game, the more you can tell the differences between uh, the, you know, the different species of duck and you get to enjoy um, you know, that game year taste of duck or geese or whatever species that you're hunting, even big game, you really enjoy the, uh, you know, the wild flavors of it. Um, because it's, I mean, it's all edible. Um, it's just a matter of you (laughs) having, you know, being able to, to put it down. So, (laughs) but, uh, but I like, I, I like that analogy the wine, the different varieties and flavors found in wine in comparison to like duck and, and other game. But yeah, more, I more specifically, especially duck, man, there's so many different flavors and you got people. It's like, Nope, I don't want to drink this kind of wine. I don't want to drink uh, Merlot. I don't want to do that. And people are like, I don't touch Merganser. I don't touch wood duck. I don't, you know, yep. <laughs> there's so That's much variety out there. And you have people that's like, that's all, that's all I'll eat. Yep, exactly. And, and the best part of it too, is if, uh, you know, if a duck, if a duck doesn't taste the best or any, any game species doesn't taste the best, just raw, you know, like, like you cook it up, no seasonings on it you try it. Like you can really learn what, um, how to best like conquer that flavor that you don't like. Mm -hmm. You can knock the flavor right out of it. I mean, I, I cook duck sometimes like the the um gamier duck um species that i shoot like uh, diver ducks or sea ducks even um they have a really strong flavor but as long as you like 
saute onions and mushrooms and put in some good uh, seasoning in it and then really cook it in it for a while, you know, or even dice it up. Um, or you can marinate the duck um, in either teriyaki or anything else. You can even marinate it in wine, red wine. And uh, there you go. I mean, so they're, they're, we're tying wine and wild game back together again. Now. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever, uh, have you ever eaten much antelope? Like pronghorn antelope? I actually don't think I've had antelope. I, it, it might be, uh, pronghorn might be the only species that I haven't had yet. Like a North American species. But I oh, want to You got to put it. Yeah, you got to put it at the top of your list. It's a, uh, it's one of my favorites. It's like kind of a, it's it's become almost a, a yearly, a yearly pursuit to get it. But it it's funny. I was up in Wyoming, and you know the one of the local guys was in the store. We were in the gas station waiting in line. And he's like, "How you doing?" You know, I told him about my hunt and everything, and he's like, "Well, next year bring some buddies, shoot twelve of them. Can't stand those things." And I'm just like, "I think they're great, but." Uh, they just have this, you know, some people have this perception of them. They're just like, nope, uh, I'm going to pass. But uh, it, it makes me think back to like the very first time I had antelope and I was preparing it. And everybody's like, you got to, you got to, you have to overcome that sage kind of flavor. Cause that's, you yeah. know, that's a lot of their diets, primarily the sage. And they're like, it's, it's really strong. And I was like, well, so what we do is you find something that complements sage. I mean, it's, it's pretty it's pretty easy to find things that you can pair with sage. I mean, you know, like think about, uh, we call it like cornbread dressing or, or stuffing or all that. You put sage in that, right? So what are some of the components that are in just that one dish? And like, then all of a sudden you start playing around with it. And through a lot of research, I found, um, not a lot of research, but through some, (laughs) uh, found like, yeah, citrus pairs well with antelope. So like orange juice, lemon, lime, like things you wouldn't normally think would be in, in the central plains at all. But hey, you know what? It, it works. And it not only does it sort of move past that flavor that some people may not like, it it, it enhances the, the taste of the meat. So yep. Yep. that's and one thing I'm... That's, that's the fun part of uh, cooking wild game is... Uh, you know, you, you really want to go in the field, harvest something, and then be able to eat it, you know? It, mm-hmm. and, and you want to, it almost makes you, like, if you go to the store and you have the choice to get something that's, like, super flavorful that you really enjoy or, like, a, a less enjoyable piece of meat, right? Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that's, that's up to personal preference on what each individual likes, but when you go out and hunt something, and if you're passionate about hunting and you love the thrill of it, like I loved, I love to duck hunt. And there were some duck species where I was like, you know what? I don't really like the taste of this, but I love hunting them. And so when you, you know, when you face that conflict of like, well, I really love doing this and, oh, I don't really like the meat as much. It, it makes you want to overcome that flavor and mm-hmm. it makes you want to figure out, makes you want to put on your mad, mad scientist chef hat, right? <laughs> and start like toying with everything um, to, to make it more enjoyable in, in every step of the process. Um, because then you feel better about hunting the, the game 
and you, you know, and it's enjoyable in the end and it's, it's all really healthy stuff. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to get past that flavor sometimes and just say like, you know what, I'm going to learn to like it and that's it. But a lot of wild game, I, that's not even the case. A lot of wild game is just good right at the start. So 100%. Um, it kind of tugs on that, uh, uh like responsible, responsible hunter string, and I like I've got all these animals here. I, I like the pursuit and I like overcoming the challenge in the pursuit. But it's also the end result, no matter what you do, is always the same. Like you're left with meat. And if it's underutilized, it's a waste. And nobody wants to waste things. I mean, yep. I think uh, I won't say no one, but uh, the majority of people don't want to waste things, especially like if you're you're behind the shot or you're behind the arrow or, you know, the the fishing hook or whatever, like you want to be able to take that home and, and utilize it. So we've been recently kind of talking about, and I'm, I'm going to tie this into our, our whole conversation with the, the plus one movement uh, that you guys have going on as well as, but we've been talking a lot about venison diplomacy and sort of using food yep. as a, as a gateway into, into the shooting sports into archery into fishing and all that. So it's like, not not as much a uh, a very specific term, but very broad as a an approach. And uh, we actually we have a shirt that says "Venison Diplomat" on it uh, as an invitation for people who uh, like sharing wild game meals, like myself, uh, with others. So, um, but looking at sort of introducing new hunters into the sport or junior hunters or adult onset hunters. Can you tell me kind of about, uh, the plus one movement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the plus one movement is a peer to peer initiative that encourages experienced hunters to get out and invite new hunters to go with them. Um, so it's, it's very like, um, like we've created all these resources for Mm -hmm. experienced hunters and like, inexperienced hunters right people who are looking to get into it um we have all these resources out there um where pretty much any experience level can go on to letsgohunting.org um and and find the right route for them to to help them learn and grow as a hunter um and conservationist and understand like all the elements of what a what makes a hunter and Mm -hmm. so um, the really cool thing about um, the plus one movement, though, is the ability to reach out and connect with people and kind of like what we said about filming hunts, when you can go with somebody and you can share that experience and share that story, it actually makes it, it, it just adds a whole different di- uh, dimension to it. Um, and, you know, I love duck hunting. I love pheasant hunting because it's a social hunt. And it's an easy hunt to invite other people on. Um, that doesn't mean that bow hunting or any sort of big game hunting, you can't bring somebody. Um, I, I know you can because I've filmed a lot of different um, hunts um, um, in those ways. But but like there are just a lot of different ways that people can invite, invite other people out hunting with them. And uh, also we have a field to fork program that we uh, have partnered with QDMA to uh, promote this program that they had originally created. Actually, the Kentucky DNR uh, created it originally, and then the QDMA kind of adopted it. And now we're kind of partnering up with the QDMA to 
um, promote the benefits of wild game. And typically when you, you know, give somebody a piece of wild game and you say like, here, try some of this venison jerky or try, you know, try this uh, venison backstrap, whatever they try. And they're like, Oh my gosh, like this is really good. And it's like, yeah. And guess what? You can go hunt it in on that piece of public land right over there. Or, you know, you have friends that own property that you can go hunt, mm-hmm. hunt their land. Maybe, you know, you got, but um, so that's that connection with food and, uh, that's the whole idea of field to fork. Um, and so that kind of ties in with the plus one movement and it's just another aspect of like, you know, there's conservation. If you hunt, you are supporting conservation. If you hunt, you're supporting, um, sustainability, uh, self-sustainability, um, being able to harvest your own food, not relying on anybody else like McDonald's down the street, um, to, to give you food, you know, and there's something really rewarding about that. And just not a lot of people have experienced that. And so the plus one movement field the fork, um, program, they, they really tie into, uh, um, that whole, you know, that whole, uh, education <laughs> process, yeah. um, that, that people can get through to, uh, become, become well-rounded, knowledgeable hunters i uh I, I first heard about the um the the field to fork program i think it was last year i think uh a, a couple of the guys from qdma were on the mediator podcast and uh they were talking about sort of the whole program and to me it was the, like the first time i was like man what a novel idea they're like yeah we just go out to like a farmer's market or you know a festival or whatever and we just set up yep. and we just give away tastings of of venison or tastings of duck or tastings of you know whatever we happen to have and it's like the those are the places where you're reaching people who are very food centric um but may not have ever thought about hunting but they kind of like latched on to sort of that locavore movement and and a lot of the people that are becoming more and more responsible will about taking uh food and food consumption and food growth and production into their own hands. So um, I think it's awesome that, that both of you as organizations are working together on that. I think it's a, it's a really positive program and, and a good outlet uh, to on the, both the recruitment side and, and the education side and like leading people through the, Hey, here's the food, you know, the venison diplomacy side to here's a, uh, here's kind of a field example to a hunter safety course to, you know, getting your own hunting license to sort of like, here's what you do after you harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, cause all, all those, all those things, you know, um, traditionally if you look at it, have been geared towards like very young, a very young demographic. And, and as it's changing over time and people are becoming more interested, especially during COVID times, I, I think it's great that, it's opening eyes in a lot of different areas. So like yep. I said, I, 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 I applaud what you guys are doing. It's, it's pretty awesome. So thank you. Um, yeah. It's cool to be a part of a team that is promoting something like this. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's natural and I love educating people on, you know, what is naturally available to them. Um, you know, a lot of people rely on the government and society to, um, you know, and they don't even realize it, how, how reliant they are on the government 
um, and and the way our society is structured, you know, to go to the grocery store and get your food, to rely on other people, to rely on a system. Well, that, you know, that system is not, I, I would never want to rely on that system. And I, I do enjoy going to the grocery store and occasionally going to get a burger at a fast food restaurant. But, you know, it, it's just really cool to be able to be self-sustainable, know how to survive on your own, and also know about all of the health benefits that come along with uh, with being that way. Um, it just makes for a more um, holistic lifestyle um, that I really believe in. And so I'm really happy to be a part of it. That's awesome. Um, so as you say, what, what would be some advice that you would give new hunters that are looking to get into, um, you know, in, into this, I won't say movement, but into this lifestyle of, of hunting and angling and, and, uh, sourcing food and, becoming involved in shooting sports, what, uh, what direction would you point them? Really? There are like the learning journey. Okay. So there's, there's education and, and this is what I'll, I'll compare to right away. So there's hunter's ed, right? Um, there's mm -hmm. firearm safety courses and those are educational courses. They're they're systematic. Everybody goes through the same system. You learn the basics, um, but then when it comes to anything more advanced than the basics and any like field experience that you're going to get that just makes you increases your uh, abilities as a hunter or as a target shooter, um, that that relies on you. And that learning, like that learning path that you take is most likely not going to be like anybody else's. It is mm -hmm. the every single learning path is unique in its own everybody learns things at different times in different ways with, with, with other people, maybe by themselves. So, and, and just the timeline of it can vary too. Um, and so what I would say is the best thing you can do is one, you need to understand that hunting is naturally an independent thing. So to go out and hunt and to be a good shot, you need to rely on your own skills. Therefore, you need to work on your skills in that way. You also need to learn about the species and their behavior um, and all that stuff. And nobody can really tell you. I mean, you can read books about it and you can learn a lot through doing that. And you can consume content um, on, on the internet. Um, go to letsgohunting.org. Um, and there's a ton of stuff on there. And you can learn great things. But you can be book smart, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a good hunter in the field. Right. You just I, need to go out and you need to chip away at yourself and sculpt yourself into a good mm -hmm. hunter. And other people can help you with that. Um, and, you know, I would definitely tap into outside resources. Um, other people, they are crazy good resources and they will bring you along and they can point things out in the field and all that stuff. Um, but you need to keep your eyes open, you know, like you need to have the desire and the passion and you need to put towards, put forth the effort, um, you know, to become a hunter. It is work. You know, if, if none of us had jobs and we were, our, our job was to survive on our own. Hunting would be our job. And so that just right there says it to you. It's work. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, but, it, but it's fun. It, it's a, it's a very, very rewarding experience. And, uh, 
you know, I would I would hope that everybody at some point or another in their life would, uh, you know, would get to experience that and get to understand how it feels to be independent. Um, and and it, it's really empowering thing. I I think about um, your comment on sort of you can you can read the books and you can read everything, but that may not necessarily make you like a good hunter. And it's been, you know, I, I read and I, I study and all that, but I've been out in the field where I've read stuff in the past and it's not until something happens that I visually observe something in nature and animal behavior or go through an experience or maybe a failure that I probably should have recorded. So I could watch it again, but, um, <laughs> uh, having one of those moments and just having like an aha of like, Oh my gosh, that makes sense. That's why, you know, so-and-so said that in his book or that was mentioned in that article. And it's like, yeah, you, you don't, I think I've experienced and learned more just like being out there in nature is with the raw experience. Now, granted a lot of it, like you said, the, the systematic side of it that you have to do for safety and regulations and all that. Once you have that structure built and you understand what you're doing, you understand what you're, where you're going and how to do it safely, then yeah, you can venture out of, of your comfort zone and, and go experience new things. But man, there's nothing like just being out there and just like growing in your individual self while you're out hunting or, or fishing. So Yep. And it's not even, and it's not even about growing as a hunter too. You know, it's, it's about going out meditating, reflecting on life. Um, you know, what your current situation is and your, your, in your life, you know, and, um, it's just really good to have that time to separate from, um, all the chaos that seems to be happening around us. And as soon yeah. as you disconnect and you go out in the woods, you realize that, things aren't as crazy as society makes them out to be. And you just have to, you just need that disconnect. It's, it's healthy for you. <laughs> and hunting is one of the best ways to do it. Yep. I, I agree. I, I, in coming back from traveling for a couple of weeks, I, I got back and we, we drove back down into Austin and Texas. And it's just like, I, I had this sort of moment where I was, I was talking with my friend AJ and I was like, you know, you just look around, like, look where we came from and look what we were doing. And like, you come into this and sort of step back into what we call like civilized life. And there's all these things that, that are here that we don't really need, you know, like I, there's, you know, I, I want people to be successful in their life and their endeavors and follow their dreams. But it's like, we passed a business that all they do is design ponds in the back of people's houses. Like, ornamental ponds that you you know it's like do we really need that where's our focus as a society you know um i wish that person all the success but it's like i don't know i don't know that i could uh warrant focus on on a backyard pond or or going out to harvest uh you know meat for the freezer it's it's a hard comparison yep no i i know what you mean uh I really do think that hunting teaches you just a lot of uh, things about the natural world that once you understand them, you look at a lot of things around you in society and you just go like, really? Like, like that's crazy. And I'm, I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, people wearing a lot of makeup or anything. I, I laugh at people. I think people are hysterical uh, with a lot of the behaviors and things that you see. I mean, you go on TikTok these days, you'll laugh your butt off if you, you know, you're a 
conservative guy like me who loves the outdoors and loves natural things, you know, um, you're just like, wow, like look at the way things are going in society. And it's just, I just need to go sit in the woods and, uh, there's nothing healthier than that. <laughs> nope. Agreed. I, I ran across a very, a very interesting, uh, scenario. So I've, I follow like some of the hunt, different hunting groups on Facebook and you just kind of like, I like to see what people are talking about. And in this one instance, this guy was like, when I go out with my kids, I take, uh, I'm out bow hunting or sitting in the blind or doing whatever. I take their tablet so that I can just give them their tablet and like, let them entertain themselves. And then whenever the shot comes up, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to shoot. And then I shoot and they just, they get excited to see that. And I was reading all the comments and, you know, everybody's like, yeah, I do the same. I do this. You get some guys that, you know, are obviously critiquing it. And I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't know. Cause I, I'm a father myself. My daughter's eight. So I kind of weigh in. I, I, I live in this world of like wanting to get her into the sport. So I don't want to give her n- negative experiences or create stuff when it's bored. But it's also like, Sometimes I want to go out and hunt, but I want her to be there, but I want to hunt. I don't want to have to entertain or do that. And I was, I was just running the scenario through my head and I was like, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could just be like, here's a tablet. Cause what's the difference in, you know, us sitting in the house or doing something different when, when this makes me sound old when I say it, but when I was a kid, <laughs> we didn't have tablets. So you went yeah. in, you set, you sit in the deer stand, but you observed and learned so much. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not knocking anybody or telling them what to what to do right what they do is right or wrong but and just thinking about it myself constructively i was like i would rather go out for an hour and spend just her and i sitting in the blind or sitting in a deer stand or you know on a hilltop with a pair of binoculars glassing and then her be like all right dad i'm bored let's go home then i think i would spend three hours doing the same with her on the tablet and us not not sharing the precise moments that, that I know exist in the outdoors. Cause it's like you, you don't get to unplug or mm-hmm. she doesn't get to unplug in that case. It's, it's no different than a lot of other day to day things. So it really got me thinking and, and our conversation here was I'm like, man, it just kind of solidifies it for me. So, uh, maybe it's that, uh, <laughs> quality over quantity thought of, of kids and the outdoors. And I don't know. I I see adults, I think do the same thing. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I totally what you know what you mean about the pond, the pond thing too. And I mean, that's like a, you know, fun example, whatever, uh, where, you know, it's a real example of what you were talking about when you were driving, but, um, but, I, when I look at somebody consuming television and watching somebody do something on television, watching somebody like watch a show on television from a production background, I also look at it like, you know what, they are, they are allowing their lives to be consumed by this media and they're not out there doing something that can help them live a more sustainable lifestyle that empowers them more. And the more that they 
sit there and consume that stuff and they don't go out and they learn about the natural world and how they can, you know, be more sustainable and all that. They're only becoming more reliant on society and the government to provide for them. Like we can all sit, let's just, let's just look at it this way. If we all sat around all day long on our devices and, and everybody, that's all we did. And then we needed to eat food, right? You got all these people who have jobs going out, you know, at factories and, and they're, they're making food farmers out in the fields, um, you know, uh, harvesting food for us. And, you know, there's that whole process of everything. Um, and then we've got all these fast food restaurants. Well, how, how like valuable, like, and it's hard to put value on life, but like you look at that and it's like, wow, I could never see myself sitting inside all the time outside of work and just expecting somebody to give me everything I need to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just that's not a healthy way to do it in my opinion. And um, I think that's where a lot of the differences in, in political opinion come from too, is just the, the differences in the lifestyle like that. And there's such fundamental in, on such a fundamental thing in life but people are so disconnected from that, the reality of a lot of things because of their devices that it, I don't know they just have a different opinion and that's okay. It's free country. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts, you can grill steaks, you can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. I, I see you looking like that. And I think about too, um, uh, I think back to what you said of like hunting is previously being a job, like a village of people. You have someone who was the hunter or everyone hunted for their own food within that establishment and sort of society grew like, you know, uh, we were allowed for more time in our day because someone became more proficient at growing crops and someone became a better hunter because of tools. Like all, there's all these other concepts and thoughts. Um, but then the way society sort of evolved away from that into, uh, we're very 
dependent upon an industry to provide us a daily a daily food and just living in general which is which is crazy the the independence of of life is not always as prevalent as as one would think yep yep exactly and and there are benefits there are benefits to having youtube you know like yeah i was in dakota last week uh bird hunting and uh my uh tensioner on the engine of my truck uh it actually the bearings busted out of it and i had to replace the tensioner and the auto body shop was busy um or the mechanic was busy and so i had to fix it myself well i went on youtube looked it up it wasn't actually that big of a fix cost me a hundred dollars for a part so like that's great i mean it's it's awesome Mm -hmm. that (laughs) content there to teach you things and it's the same thing with the plus one movement and mentorship it's great yeah. to have that information and stuff that, you know, if, if the, we were a village of people, you and I, the Justin village, right? <laughs> we, had our, we had our village of Justins and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we might not know something that can make our lives more efficient. And so that's why YouTube is good because then we can just say, oh, the people on the other side of the world, they're doing it this way. And they're like, we can make things more efficient. That's great. So there are benefits to it, but you know, it's, it's all in moderation. That's, mm-hmm. that's the key word is just moderation, and, and, uh, yeah. And I'm working media. So, and that's my opinion <laughs> on media. <laughs> I just break away though. Like, like I try to educate in a good way and there are a lot of distractions, unhealthy distractions in media and what makes me feel like I'm justified in what I do for a living is that I am educating people on mm-hmm. fundamental safety practices with firearms or any other tool, right? And also how to hunt to be more sustainable. Like there's nothing better than that. There's nothing more foundational in life than being able to collect food, gather food, hunt food, you name it. There it is. Yep. Yep. I agree. I, I think I sit in the same seat with a lot of what we do is, is we've always focused on the educational and, you know, the cooking side of it, how to take that gamey flavor out or how to complement it, like remove some of the, the challenge from it. Why, you know, people can try to do it themselves, but if we have a good way of doing it or someone else has a good way of doing it and we use that, that's, you know, it's awesome. So, yep, exactly. But I'm just like, just like you, there are moments I'm like, I got to turn the phone off. I got to close the computer and I'm don't try to reach or call me or anything. Like I just need, I need some time outdoors. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) So, um, and talking about again, the, the plus one movement and, um, so what are some success stories that you've seen and some, some challenges uh, as, as we go through wrapping in, now we're wrapping in the exact media in the program. Um, what are, what are some things that you've seen along those lines? Sure. So the success stories, those all vary, you know, there, there are different levels of success and, um, you know, I would say that the biggest success story out of them all is the fact that we've had over a million, uh, pledges, um, in the plus one movement. That is, um, I believe it's a couple hundred thousand individuals 
have pledged to take out over a million people. Like that, I, I think the average per person is like five people. There are, there mm-hmm. are every single person that signs up for the plus one movement on average says that they can take five people out to learn about firearm safety, to learn about hunting. And so that just tells you right there, like with the slow, steady decline in hunting participation over the last decade or two, um, you know, like there's, there is potential for people to learn. And I think what's most important and uh, what kind of speaks to the success of the program is actually identifying the facts and saying like, Hey, no, everybody, you, you clearly can bring somebody out. And, uh, you know, you, you joining the plus one movement, Facebook group on, on, uh, yeah, on Facebook, um, whether it's the hunting side or the target shooting side, you're becoming a part of a community and through user generated content, everybody who's a part of that page, um, you know, everybody encourages each other to go out and there are a bunch of success stories right on there, like in individual success stories right on there, because every single time somebody goes to the range or anytime somebody goes out hunting, even if they're an experienced, an experienced hunter in deer hunting, but they're learning something new about duck hunting, that's a success. So that's what I would say about the plus one movement. I mean, clearly it, it is a successful program. Um, it's a great idea. Everybody has their varying levels of participation. Some mm-hmm. people go on and comment on Facebook. Other people scroll through a feed and they see something and they go, oh, great, and like it. Um, and then other people take people out hunting. So like those are the varying levels of participation. But um, but it's a very inclusive thing, and we're really excited to see like all the involvement in it, all the interaction, um, and the challenges. I would say um, are definitely just getting people to feel motivated, you know, feel motivated enough to go do it. Um, but that that's that's an individual thing, um, and the biggest challenge I would say is is actually probably reaching out to non-endemic audiences to try to open their eyes to the world of hunting and target shooting and the fact that firearms aren't what the mainstream media makes them out to be or what Hollywood makes them out to be. Um, And so making sure that we can cross that bridge um, or or bring people across the bridge, um, (laughs) that's, that's a really challenging thing. Um, but the cool thing is that with this being a peer to peer initiative, everybody knows different people in different ways. Everybody has different ways they connect with other people. And the more people that we can connect to this program and this idea, the more we will be able to, uh, work as a community, which is a crazy important term to work together as a community, to grow the sport of hunting and target shooting. Yep. I. I agree. So what specifically is, you mentioned the, the plus one pledge a couple of times, what specifically uh, does that entail and, and how can people get involved with that? Yeah. So the, uh, the pledge is super simple. Um, all you do is go on to let's go hunting.org. You could even join the uh, plus one movement hunting or plus one movement target shooting Facebook group. Um, and when you join those groups, you answer questions, you say, I'm going to take out like in 2020, I'm going to take out two people hunting this year. 
um, who have never hunted before. Maybe, like I said before, maybe somebody's deer hunted, but they never, they've never duck hunted. So you just add the number of people that you think you can take um, and you make a pledge to take those people out. Um, and then, um, yeah, and that basically then you're just telling the community, like we can add those numbers up and we can tell the community, like this is what we're doing together. Um, and so you can take the pledge by going to letsgohunting.org or if you are taking a pledge to take someone target shooting, you can go to letsgoshooting.org. Um, and that's pretty much the idea of the pledge. It's uh, just making a pledge to introduce somebody new. That's cool. I, I like it. I, uh, I I joined the Facebook page uh, yesterday or the day before. I saw that. Yeah. I, I approved you. <laughs> yeah. You saw I put a big number. It was like, how many hunters are you going to influence? I was like, 100. Yeah. You do it all. <laughs> yeah. You you uh you barely qualified i'll tell you that so oh man i gotta <laughs> i gotta bump those numbers up <laughs> so uh no it's good things going on there and um let's see i think so obviously us being a a wild fishing game podcast i gotta talk a little bit about the food uh we actually we, we talked a lot about acquiring food but um let me uh let me dial in here and pull up these recipes real quick i got a couple of recipes i want to talk about yep. one being uh garlic and soy venison jerky which is a it's it's a pretty good recipe i think everybody like you said jerky is a pretty introductory thing and i got a lot of uh i got a lot of flack today when i was at work from some of my co-workers because i just returned from my trips and they're like well where's uh where's uh where's the jerky at and i was like well I can't share with you because it's COVID and we're not supposed to share food. <laughs> um, I didn't appreciate that, but no jerky's on its way for those guys. Um, but outside of that, so with this jerky recipe, it's uh, written by one of our field staff writers, Brad Trumbo. Uh, does a great job. Definitely. Jerky's always something I carry with me sort of when I'm out in the field or moving around or even driving. I'm a big fan of snacking on jerky while I'm driving down the road. But um, great recipes using two pounds of uh, stripped down venison. So you want to get it like quarter inch thick using uh, sh minced or shredded garlic, brown sugar, Worcestershire sauce, soy sauce. And then you can also, if you like it spicy, add in some uh, cayenne or paprika. And uh, and this, you're, you're basically following standard uh, protocol using the uh, dehydrator, the oven, or the smoker in order to get it to uh, dried and about 8 to 12 hours. You want to make sure you hit that like 150, 155 degree temperature mark on those. But, I mean, it's a pretty solid jerky recipe, and I think if you wanted to get fancy with it and add other spices in there, uh, it's definitely a good, a good base uh, for anybody wanting to venture into that realm. And then the other recipe I've got a little bit, this is on the opposite side of, of commonality and not ease. Um, but there's some, some venison empanadas, which I've, we've talked about empanadas. We've talked about meat pies on here before, but I'm also a firm believer that I think every culture in the world has some sort of like, uh, dough filled with meat that they either grill bake or fry 
So I think it's pretty common to see empanadas or meat pies or pierogies or any of those things. Um, that's when our field staff writer, John Vile put together and, uh, instead of frying it, he did these, uh, on the pellet smoker. So shout out to one of our sponsors, Traeger, uh, put them on there and, um, cooked them for about 45 minutes. He pre-cooked the mix, used a little bit of venison chorizo, which we have a good reference, uh, for a previous chorizo recipe that we've used on here before. So if you like kind of that really flavorful, spicy sausage, uh, then this is good. And then he cut it down with a little bit of, uh, fresh ground venison, lots of spices, and uh, made a nice dipping sauce. Uh, looks like a habanero and pepper yogurt-based dipping sauce, but a really great recipe, as always. So all, all the things we've talked about in the podcast today, we'll, we'll put in the show notes so that you have the links to letsgohunting.org, the uh, Facebook private groups uh, for, the, for the one pledge, uh, if you want to get involved in that, which I encourage everybody to. Is uh like I always say, if you're, we all have a responsibility as hunters to get to get more hunters out, trying to get those numbers better and and do the responsible things. So things like this apprenticeship programs, the uh, field to fork, being a venison diplomat, uh, all those help out our sport because at the end of the day, uh, if if we're not the ones to promote it, then you know uh, who who's going to. <laughs> But, um, Justin, do you have any, any last thoughts for us? Uh, nope. I, I think the last thought is it's uh, hunting season. So get out there and get after it. There's never a better time than, uh, right now to get out and start learning. I agree with you hundred percent. So my last thoughts, thanks again for coming on. Uh, I really enjoyed our, our conversation. Definitely very focused on, uh, being self-sustaining and, and I think hunting, and acquiring your own food is is the way to go for that. So, and I'll say to everybody out there, uh, make sure you're following Let's Go Hunting on on all the different social media platforms, or Let's Go Shooting if you're into the shooting sports, not specifically hunting. Um, also, uh, mentioned that hat giveaway in the very first part, but I'm not sure that I mentioned how to participate in it. So, whatever podcast platform you listen to, go hit that five star review, and if you leave us a written review you get the opportunity to get a free hat uh, if we read your comments out on, on the next episode. So, um, yeah, leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And uh, I appreciate everybody listening. Have a good night.